Hey guys, it's Jeff Stanick with Figured Out Baseball. Uh, I'm really pumped for our podcast today. Uh, joining us on the program right now, we've got Dusty Blake. He's the pitching coach at Duke University, obviously in the ACC, a team that has uh, really made incredible strides over the last couple of years, and, and Coach Blake has certainly been a part of that. Uh, I'm really excited to get into questions with him, but before we do, I'll give you a background on him so you kind of know where he came from and how he ended up at Duke. Uh, coach Blake is a Cander, North Carolina native. He was a 2003 graduate, see if I can say this right, from Appalachian State in Boone, North Carolina. We talked about this before we got in the podcast. I'm from Pennsylvania, and up here, anytime we, we uh, talk about that word, it's, it's always Appalachian, but he told me I'd, I'd have a ride on my hands if I, if I pronounce it that way. So Appalachian right. State, uh, 2004 and 2005, he was the outfield coach, got his starting coaching as an outfield coach at Pfeiffer University, uh, Division II school in Meisenheimer, North Carolina. He received his master's degree from Pfeiffer in 2006. In 2006 and 7, he was the pitching coach at Catawba College, an NCAA Division II program in Salisbury, North Carolina. The 2006 team that he was a part of won 49 games, also finished with a 3.44 team ERA. From 2008 until 2011, Coach Blake was the pitching coach and recruiting coordinator at Wofford College, an NCAA Division I team in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Their 2011 team had a 15th-round draft pick. Also, uh, that team had the lowest batting average against at Wofford since 2000 and had the best team ERA since 1985. In 2012, he moved on to become the pitching coach at USC Upstate in Spartanburg, South Carolina. That team won 33 games. And Listen to these stats. The 2012 team at Upstate gave up 180 fewer runs than the previous year. They walked 100 fewer batters and struck out nearly 100 more guys in the year before, pretty incredible numbers. That team had a 21st-round draft pick on the mound. From 2013 until 2017, Coach Blake was the head coach at Pfeiffer, uh, where he began his coaching career. In, the 2000, in 2015, the team went 29-22. and 22. Those are the most wins since 2004 for Pfeiffer. That year um, was the first of two consecutive years where the team went to the conference championship game, and this was also in a time uh, when Pfeiffer was transitioning, or at least had announced they were transitioning from Division Two to Division Three, so pretty incredible for those type of things to happen uh, at a time when uh, it was probably pretty difficult to get some players on campus. Then in December 2017, Coach Blake was hired at Duke. So 2018 was his first spring with Duke. In 2018, Duke set the school record uh, as a team with 575 strikeouts. They also set the school record as a pitching staff averaging 9.12 strikeouts per nine. The team won 40 games that year for the first time in program history and advanced to a Super Regional for the first time in Duke history. In 2019, Duke set the school record again, striking out 598 batters as a team. That was good for 14th in the country. They set the school record again with 9.7 strikeouts per nine. They advanced to the Super Regional for the second year in a row, obviously the second time in program history, and they won 35 games. That year in 2019 also ranked as high as 16th in the country. Um, really pretty, pretty incredible resume. Uh, Coach Blake, really appreciate you being on the program with us today, man. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. Really, really excited about the opportunity, man. Can't wait to dive into some of this stuff with you. So I like to typically start with something on the from your resume that kind of stands out. And, uh, you know, what stood out to me, obviously, is going from being a Division II head coach you had Division One experience as a pitching coach, but going from being a Division Two head coach to being the pitching coach at Duke, and you had about six weeks to prepare. I believe you said that uh, you opened up with Vanderbilt that first year. So you got on yeah. campus. You've got six weeks to prepare your pitching staff uh, to go and compete with Vanderbilt, one of the best teams in the country. What was that transition like for you to kind of start off your Duke career? Yeah, I mean, every, everything uh... – you know, obviously, certainly excited about the opportunity to, to, to come join Coach Pollard and his staff here at Duke. Uh, they were already doing some things really well. But, uh, yeah, it's overwhelming uh, to, to start with maybe the right word because um, as much as I had uh, tried to familiarize myself with data and Rapsodo and, and some of the things that are out there, um, we're getting bullpen data. And when I shift over uh, to, to this opportunity, it's, folders and files uh, electronically, obviously, of TrackMan data, which is now in-game information that uh, can help guys um, 
determine a little bit deeper and and what they've done and what's going on with each pitch and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, it's like as I come here, uh, TrackMan was new for me. Uh, there's a program called Synergy that helps us with scouting our opponents. Uh, basically, any game that's streamed or televised, this company will clip these games into pitches, tag them in about six to eight second clips. Um, so opportunity to work with TrackMan, opportunity to now work with Synergy. Uh, there was a Rapsodo device we had here. So here's your login for that, Coach, uh, as they continue to give me information to, to help these guys be prepared, but at the same time um, familiarize myself with it and you know, try to be able to at least hit the ground running as you're learning you know, 18 new pitchers, uh, you're learning the area, trying to figure out where you're going to move. Um, and all those things combined certainly kind of uh, sped up a little bit, but you know, fortunately, a good group of guys I had a chance to work with. Uh, it, it made me a, a lot more aware of a situation where, okay, we've got a lot of stuff that, that can help these guys. Um, how do I make sure I'm organizing it in a way that allows us to take advantage of it? And uh, a, a really cool book that's out there called The Checklist Manifesto is something that I believe really describes this process. I didn't uh, cross paths with it until later in the 2018 summer. But um, it, it literally breaks down in the world of uh, health medicine surgery, uh, aviation, construction, uh, in, in ways that they've taken a lot of information and found organized plans to make sure you're taking advantage of, uh, of the, the info that can help you without maybe overlooking things and being negligent towards uh, some of this information as it continues to grow. And, and that's where we're at. We, we're getting assessments. We're getting evaluations. We've got video uh, reviews. We've got TrackMan data. We've got all these resources to really help us um, and then making sure we're, we're not getting bogged down with it but allowing us using it to allow us to be more efficient in our communication with our players. Uh, it was a fast transition uh, but certainly a, a good opportunity and a, and a learning opportunity personally. Is the checklist manifesto, is that a baseball book or is that a? Uh, it's, it's, it's actually written uh, by a Harvard surgeon named Atul Guande. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, he's got a couple of other books out there. Uh, but, yeah, he's been a part of Harvard Med School for 20 years. He with the, works with the World Health Organization, uh, does not communicate or talk about baseball at all, but I find there are a lot of really good insightful books that aren't baseball specific but certainly have overlap with uh, some of the things we're experiencing. And, um, yeah, again, he, he really draws out the comparison between ignorance and ineptitude, uh, ignorance being mistakes that we just don't have enough information uh, to, to have a better plan. Um, we just aren't advanced enough yet in whatever field we're talking about. Those types of mistakes are the ones you can accept a little bit more. Ineptitude are, are the mistakes where we've got the information, we just didn't organize it well enough to, to take advantage of it. And so those, as information begins, continues and data and analytics and all these things continue to grow in our game, I think it's incredibly important uh, that we're finding ways as coaches to organize it to help these guys be more efficient, not, again, complicated and, and bogged down. Do you think that there's a couple things there that I want to go back to, but do you think that with all the data that's out there that we are, or at least some teams are getting to a point, or even some organizations are getting to a point where that's sort of data overload or, or overkill with some things where um, there's there's too much attention paid to that and not enough attention paid to some other things, whether it's pitch development or, or actually getting people out or mindset on the mound or, or whatever it is. Do you think sometimes that can be an issue for some teams at certain levels, uh, even, whether it's you know whether it's a high school kid that's training or whether it's a guy in college or a guy in pro ball? Um, yeah, I mean that's certainly going to be a case by case scenario. You you can see where that could happen. Um, I, I can see personally where, uh, as I became more familiar with, with all the information and the data points that we're getting from, from each game, where you could get lost in the shuffle with some of that and lose focus. It's kind of like the argument. You know, I heard a guy named really good baseball guy, uh, Andy McKay, say a couple years ago, you can take the best player in any sport and inject doubt and fear, um, and you compromise them. And so if, if all you're doing is, managing data uh, and the analytics side and you aren't uh, helping this pitcher uh, develop emotionally uh, their process, those 15 seconds between each pitch that really is what everything comes down to, then, then yeah, there, there's some gaps there that you're going to have to fill or you're going to lose that. But 
you know, everybody's different. We, we have some players that absolutely can own that competitive side of it and their emotions and their mindset uh, and, and are prepared to, to dive more into the data process. For other guys, understanding the data can, can help simplify where their mind uh, becomes distracted. If they know on this pitch, if I throw it 100 times for a strike, I'm only allowing about four hits per 100 strikes, their confidence is going to go up because of that data. Um, so, so it's hard to say uh, how far it gets in, in each individual program. For me, just like the comparison of velocity or command, which one is more important, you know, mindset or the analytic side, your competitive side, like both is the answer. You know, we, we want to do both. And if some players are more advanced on one end, you want to continue that development, but maybe uh, give them a little bit more insight into some of the other side of it that, that can be helpful for them. So I think there's certainly an opportunity for that. For me, I think the thing I see more of is this perceived perfect pitch or this perceived uh, ideal data metric for uh, certain types of pitches. It, I can just tell you, you know, for, for me, shifting uh, to Duke, having the track man in-game data, I can see exactly what our average exit velocities are on any pitch in any part of the zone. I can see where the swing and miss happens. I can see where guys chase. Uh, fortunately, again, the resources here are, are really good for us. And so we have guys that track man, quote, unquote, or rap soto or, or data analysts would say, some at least would say, um, you know, we really want to get the tilt on this pitch here or the induced vertical break on this pitch to this number uh, and, and the horizontal movement to, to this potentially. You know, these are all – areas that can can be changed and manipulated for, for pitchers, but um, there are plenty of really good pitches that are super effective um, at a high level that don't meet those um, prototypical uh, expectations of what a, a great pitch looks like. And there are a lot of um, resources out there that I think are promoting the Verlander fastball and the Scherzer changeup, whatever you want to call it, um, that, that aren't you – know, those are great for those guys, but you can have pitchers that have really good pitches that, that don't match those data points and are still incredibly effective, um, incredibly effective. Um, high spin rate doesn't mean you can't pitch – or low spin rate doesn't mean you can't pitch up in the zone. Uh, high spin rate on a changeup doesn't mean it's, it's bad. In some scenarios, it can be incredibly deceptive for hitters uh, if, if a pitcher has a really high spin changeup, the, the best one on our team for the last two years is a guy that's got a really high spin rate, uh, and it's incredibly effective for him. So I, I think where some of the uh, uh, some of the information or some of the, the, the stories I've, I've heard are maybe compromised a little bit more from the deception of, well, this is what a perfect pitch looks like, or this is where you need to get this pitch, and, and sometimes fortunate enough on our end because we can see the game data um, that they don't there are really good pitches that don't have to meet those requirements isn't baseball funny because <laughs> yeah, sure. on, on paper the you know the high spin rate fastball is it is on paper a ball you have to throw in the top of the zone and a low spin fastball is a ball you have to do in the bottom of the zone and the change up obviously like you said you you on paper, you want the least amount of spin possible to give that, let that thing dive and let that thing, you know, do its thing in the bottom of the zone and kind of disappear in a guy, but it doesn't always end up that way. Do you see the opposite where sometimes you'll see really good uh, analytics on a pitch, but it, it just doesn't, it's not nearly as effective as it should be on paper, or is it only the other way that doesn't quite no, always work? No, 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 100%. And that's how you, you just have to be aware of what, you know, what does your pitcher do really well? How frequently are we doing it? What is the distribution of, of the pitches around that? Um, and those don't you, you don't need TrackMan for any of that, or you know, Rapsodo if, if the resources aren't there. Uh, but, but yeah, like so the, the high spin rate fastball, um, I can go. You know, luckily we're, we're able to to not just tap into our uh, data points, but we're in something called the TrackMan Team Portal, which gives us access to any other team on their network that has signed up for this share opportunity. So we share our data, other teams share theirs. Um, I can't remember how many teams are in it. I think there's well over 50,000 uh, pitches in it last year, or not pitches, uh, fastballs, because I was just looking at some data uh, over the course of the, the, the country last year with fastball. But, uh, but yeah, there's plenty of guys with high-spin fastball that get barreled. 
just like there's plenty of guys with high speed, high spin rate fastballs that, that create some swing and miss. Um, sometimes it's because there's a little gyro spin or a little bit of what we call wobble with, with their release that the ball creates a little bit more spin potentially. Um, and, and in other scenarios, they're, they're behind it, and it's true, uh, but doesn't, you know, it, it certainly doesn't guarantee swing and miss. There, there's, a, there's one stat called vertical approach angle that, to me, really regulates, not regulates, uh, demonstrates the pitcher's uh, overwhelmingly higher than normal opportunity to, to get swing and miss on a fastball. Uh, that, that, for me, has been the, the one common theme. And spin rate is a contributor um, for sure, but it's, it's a combination of spin rate, release height, stride, and, and some other things that, that come into play to create that. Um, just as many guys with high spin rate get barreled uh, as, as get the, the exceptional swing and miss. So, yeah, you, you see it on both ends. A lot of uh, guys with, you know, a shape on a, a slider or a curveball that is tight and has a lot of movement to it, uh, but may not tunnel with anything else that they throw and, and may be a little easier for hitters to identify. And you'll see some of the same things with, with that as well, even though the spin rate may be you know, 28, 2900, which is several hundred over the, the even the MLB average. That's crazy. So out of all the data, all the analytics that you now are able to collect and look into at Duke, can you point out a couple that are, are, are most important to you or sort of are your favorite statistics, I guess, or, or, or the favorite data, the stuff that you rely on the most that you think is the most useful to you when you are either communicating with your pitchers or trying to break them down or trying to help them get better? Are there any particular, any particular things that you really look at that stand out to you as stuff that you need to pay the most attention to, the uh, most useful data to you? Yeah, I think the answer to that is a little complicated maybe because maybe I don't understand it well enough to simplify it. Um, you, you know, for me, if I'm going to start somewhere, I don't start with the data first. I'm going to look at, and again, these are all things that really you, you don't need uh, uh, you know, any type of device to accumulate. Uh, I'm going to look at swing and miss percentages, and then I'm going to match all this up versus right-handed hitters and left-handed hitters because you will find huge gaps, uh, not just with opponent batting average or slugging, which we like to look at a lot, um, but just in, in general um, watching how your guys match up righty versus lefty, knowing that in most scenarios you're going to need them to pitch to both sides of the plate with righty-handed and left-handed hitters. Uh, this dictates a big part of how we set up our bullpens, but – we're going to look at the swing and miss rate on the strikes they throw, not the total number of, of pitches, but just the pitches that are strikes in a game. Um, we're going to look at the walk-to-strikeout ratio per plate appearance, not per inning, not just compared to each other in their stat line, but per plate appearance. I think there's a lot more insight in that. Um, and that number for us and for me, I guess, that, that is a uh, – expectation is around 15% in that gap. So we would like to have about 15% more strikeouts per plate appearance than walks per plate appearance. Um, and then, again, looking at that versus righty and versus lefty. We'll have a handful of guys that match uh, that co collectively, but then as you break it down, may not be quite as efficient on one side or the other. Uh, that number, again, is using command and, uh, if you want to call it stuff or velocity, uh, combined, so you know that's how you're going to get your your numbers there. But again, we don't don't need a device specifically for that. Just have to do really diligent note taking. Uh, we're going to look at the ball and play percentage based on the number of times we throw a pitch for a strike. We're going to look at you know how often we're giving up a hit. We're going to look at you know we get outside that a little bit if we look at exit velocities. Um, and then you know one stat that you can get that's helpful for predicting success a little bit more. Then ERA is something called your FIP or your fielding independent pitch. Uh, and uh, for us, we look at that number just to kind of see, um, you know, how much fielding either helped us or, or, or maybe uh, didn't help us uh, from year to year. But we, we would start there and then look at, um, you know, how those numbers match up a little bit. And then as you shift into game data, if you want to call it that, this is what, you know, for me, analytics used to tell you, kind of what happened, but it didn't tell you why, just like those numbers I just read off to you. They kind of tell you what happened. Um, the, the data that we're getting from our games through TrackMan uh, it tells you why. 
So if we want to know why a pitch uh, had the shape that it had or, or moved the way that it did or get some of the results that it gets, this tells you why, which is really helpful. But, you know, within that, um, you're going to look at, um, you know, for me, assuming or accepting that a guy's throwing strikes enough to be competitive for you and that he's not just loading the bases or allowing a ton of free bases, um, movement, then uh, velocity, and then the command of a pitch are kind of the, the order I would tell you that seem to play out the most as far as um, most effective um, in, in that process. And movement can be vertical movement just as much as it can be, you know, horizontal movement. But um, those three things are all incredibly important. Uh, and then you look at how those three things happen with their – it's called IVB or induced vertical break. That vertical approach angle we mentioned briefly, tilt and spin axis, their spin rate, release height, the horizontal break, vertical release angle. Um, that's a little bit uh, of an outlier for some guys, not necessarily across the board, but that's just kind of how uh, if a guy's pushing a ball, uh, you know, trying to throw a change up a lot of times, guys that haven't thrown that pitch a lot, they'll kind of bend their wrist back a little bit trying to throw it, and you may get a positive vertical release angle, which we don't want. Um, extension is important, but it's not uh, something that I believe creates uh, a huge amount of, you know, deception and uh, outlier-related uh, um, performance on a pitch. Extension is important that we see guys are a little bit shorter on their breaking pitches than they are on their fastball or their changeup. Um, if you have a guy that's trying to match his extension or really get out front, uh, on a breaking pitch, a lot of times you'll see the, the action of that pitch go down a little bit. So we want extension to be measured, uh, but, but so that we can see the gaps from pitch to pitch and know that we're, we're putting ourselves in a little bit better range uh, to, to release that, that pitch. And then the release side can be incredibly important as well. So I, I know that's uh, a lot, but they all interchange with each other and kind of build a recipe for a pitcher's success or – give you insight into to what area may need to be um, adjusted or, or improved. There's so much stuff out there to look at, so much to analyze. Yeah. Um, as you're combing through data, and this is, you know, a lot of this is for coaches that are doing the same thing and, and looking at some similar statistics or maybe guys that want to get into this a little bit more, um, mm -hmm. is there any data that you find that you can sort of skip over that's, that's, Maybe not. A, maybe for lack of a better term, it's a little bit useless to you, where it just you don't see a lot of correlation, and, and just you can kind of ignore this person, this particular statistic, this particular um, data that you get from the analysis. Um, that, that's hard to say because it, it all builds the, the picture. Um, I'm trying to think, man. There's, you know, there's, like, there's not. There's not. I'm so, just kind of. I'm just kind of curious. Well, well, okay, so this is how you have to look at it. Uh, this is how I look at it. Let me say it that way. Um, if we want to compare swing and miss on fastball across the country last year with teams that, that use this track man share, um, and, and I kind of dove into this um, over, the, over the break at a couple opportunities to, to speak, because um, I think it's important. Uh, the horizontal break goes down on the average swing and miss fastball by almost three-quarters of an inch. And so as guys are trying to create movement uh, on, on a pitch, and they, if, if they're throwing from a higher tilt or a little more over the top, you know, the, the addition of horizontal breaks probably not going to help them. Um, but if you're a two-seam sinker type pitcher, that's a big part of potentially what you're working off of, and so it has to be involved, even though it may not get as much swing and miss potentially or help with as much swing and miss, it's still something that, that you have to be aware of on both sides. One, your awareness just needs to, to, to sense that it's minimized maybe a little more. On the other, all right, we really got to be aggressive with this if this is what we're going to live off of and, and this is how we're going to uh, develop your best chance for success. Um, so we had our, our closer uh, two years ago, Jack Lebowski, that, that got a late call up with, triple-A last year with the Bulls here in town, you know, his, his IVB uh, on a pitch, uh, a fastball was a zero. And just to, to give you some context there, that's about 15 inches lower than the average fastball as it's getting to home plate. 
Um, so between the zero and a, and a two, maybe, um, on, on a good day. On a bad day, it may go up a little bit uh, to a five or a six, um, which would make it uh, about, you know, whatever, nine or ten inches off, lower than the average fastball. But he's also getting around 21 inches of horizontal movement as well. Uh, wow. And so we're horizontal break. So for him, it's it's incredibly important uh, that he's getting that number uh, as advanced as he can. But uh, another pitcher we had last year, uh, Ben Gross. Well, he's gonna he's a little bit more over the top, and he's a little bit more of that um, higher IVB. So we're not getting sink now; we're getting that ride uh, on the fastball. Well, we don't want a lot of horizontal movement with him. Um, so. It's less important, but it's still critical to be aware of to, to make sure we're not kind of sliding out of the kind of that runway that we want to train on. So, is, am I correct in kind of saying that the higher the higher your slot and the more you want to basically throw at the top of the zone, the more you intend to throw a fastball that that sort of rises or has the perception of rising and stays above, you know, above bats and misses bats uh, by by not sinking the less horizontal movement that you want because basically any movement you're creating side to side is going to take away a little bit from the ball's ability to sort of fight gravity and, and stay um, above a bat or my, my. Yeah. So that, that's a good kind of foundation to be aware of. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm getting a little more ride. I'm getting a little more sink or an arm side movement, but you know, in, in this game, we hear the word outlier all the time. And if you consider, um, uh, creating a cohort of pitchers that all throw from over the top, okay? So you're a hitter, uh, you know, hitting background. If you get in the box with a guy that's throwing over the top, you're not anticipating arm side run. Um, or you're not anticipating this ball having a little bit more hop maybe than the average guy that throws from up there. So as you look at each slot, um, you have to start with, all right, what's most likely to happen with guys that throw from here, and then if you have an outlier as a coach within that cohort of, of style of throwers, that's where you find a huge advantage for a guy. Um, the, the most often that I see it happen are with guys that throw from right at that three-quarter slot. Um, some guys throw from that three-quarter slot, and as they pronate, the timing in which that happens to release the ball create this really high 12 o'clock ride type spin. Um, so even though it looks like their slot should create a little arm side run, they don't have any. Um, other guys, again, depending on really the, the way in which the ball is kind of coming out and the timing and the pronation, uh, get an enormous amount of sync. The guy I was just talking about for us, Lebowski, he didn't give up a run until May. I mean, I think he had <laughs> however many saves and a couple wins and I mean, we're we're in the second week of May before this guy gives up a run for us. He's at a, a 130 arm slot, but he's got the best sinker I've had a chance to coach up to this point. And so it's like the deceptiveness of that ball is not doing what most guys that throw from that spot do. Um, and that's where you, you really start to find some outliers and where, okay, if I go up a little bit in my slot or I change the tilt on my fastball – is it going to ride a little bit more? Is the is the IVB going to improve? Like, yeah, but also you're kind of tipping that sum with this slot you're creating. So maybe you are a bigger outlier now within your cohort, but but maybe not. Um, and and you see a huge commitment sometimes um, from from players or pitchers that, that are trying to change those numbers, but as they change it, they may not be changing it as much as they think as far as the effectiveness. Thank goodness I'm not a pitching coach. There's there's so much happening there. It's it's nuts. Um, let's talk. Let's move a little bit into just. I, I'd like to talk about your progress as a pitching coach. Um, you and I first met when you were transitioning from Wofford to Upstate, and then you were at Upstate for one year, USC Upstate for one year, and then you went to mm -hmm. Pfeiffer. Um, through that time and through your time at Pfeiffer, you started to do some things that were a little bit different than a lot of other pitching coaches, and, and you were uh, maybe people would call, would people would say experimental type things, or, or maybe you were just, you know, looking more into research and data or whatever was available to you then, but you obviously have made uh, a lot of strides as a pitching coach over the years, and, and again, particularly from the time that I, that you and I first got to know each other a little bit until, uh, until today. 
would you be able to talk a little bit about just what you did and, and kind of why you decided to do the things that you did that made you, you know, what turned Dusty Blake from, you know, a, a, a low to mid-major Division One pitching coach to a Division Two head coach to an ACC pitching coach? How did you make that transition? Can you talk about some of the things that you started to do, maybe how you progressed? Man, uh, if we have enough time. No, no, yeah, I know. There's a lot of people need credit in that process, some for teaching me and some for just putting up with me. Um, I, I think probably I became more of a pitching coach when I learned I wasn't a good pitcher uh, and I needed as much help as I could when I was still playing. Um, and, and so I would say the seeds were maybe planted then. But, yeah, you, you just kind of fail enough. Um, you know, I think when I was at Wofford, um, was was the I was the guy that felt like I had some insight and some things that had worked. There was a little bit of a track record there, and if it was good enough for these guys, it was good enough for everybody. I just had to figure out how to put them in the right environment with that, and that's completely flawed, uh, completely flawed. Um, probably there to the point where didn't have, uh, you know, after. Um, having a chance to, to, to work with those guys and having some success. Uh, you know, cross paths with a guy named Mike Schilt um, as I transitioned over to, to Upstate. And a couple things. One, when I got to Upstate, I'm working with Coach Fincher, a uh, great guy, stay connected with him still, um, and, you know, love to, to bounce things off of him, really educated person, got his doctorate. But he had been – been the pitching guy there for the last 12 years so you're, you're not going to roll into a a new opportunity and just say this is what my plan is for pitching without it being challenged and so I think that was helpful for me in just being challenged sometimes day to day week to week on some of the things that we were doing because it provides a little more foundation that helps you fill in the gaps and then I, I run into to Mike Schilt working a camp who's the, the now the manager with the Cardinals um and, and lucky enough for me, he's from Charlotte. You know, I go to Pfeiffer that next summer, and so it's right down the road, and we're able to grab lunch a, a couple times uh, a month. And it, it, it really made me feel like, all right, the, the things I thought I knew about communicating and connecting with players, I was completely wrong with, or, or in a lot of ways wrong. Um, they're, they're all, you know, obviously built differently. They need their own individualized plan. Uh, you're, you're not there to – to tell them how to do it your way nearly as much as you're you're there to try to facilitate and bring out the, the best version of them. And obviously all that sounds like, well, yeah, why, would, why wouldn't you think that? But um, he, he was really helpful with me in that process and just trying to, trying to create some clarity and, and really how to communicate with guys on, on their level and, and with their, their style of communication, um, their style of learning. Um, and, and so that was really something for me that, that kind of helped shift uh, my focus a little bit from, okay, maybe what helps this guy the most is, isn't going to be the right thing for everybody, isn't going to be what helps a uh, player over here or this pitcher become the best version of, of himself. And it, it, it's tough. Uh, I had a chance to go out to the, the, the pitching coach's boot camp out at Ron Wolfor's place um, around that same time, and I remember sitting there listening to, again, Andy McKay talk, Derek Johnson talk, Brent Strom talk, uh, you know, Ron and some of his staff, and I'm just like, man, like I, I thought I had some pretty good ideas on pitching, and uh, uh, these guys are really good, and I, I got a lot, I got a lot to figure out. And at that point, you just start to, to notice guys that, that have a good feel for what's going on and have some insight and experience and. You know, it, as their success continues to grow, you try to connect as much as you can and, and learn from some of their experiences as you're learning from your own, and it just hopefully expedites that process. You don't ever stop learning. You know, we're still shifting uh, a lot of things that we do here from year to year because we've got a different group, and they need to, you know, have different environments set up to, to maximize what they're capable of. But I think somewhere during that transition, it really um, helped. Uh, me, at least personally, find a philosophy that was a little outside my comfort zone initially because you feel like you're, you're giving up a little bit of leverage but and, and you don't control the outcome. But if, if you're doing it the, the right way, it gives you a chance to move so much further past potentially where you would have gotten just having these rigid kind of 
inside the box type plans and day-to-day -day approach to, to, to working with guys. If there's a, a pitching coach who's listening to this who is at a lower level, any lower level, and, and you and I both know that some of the, the low to mid-major Division ones are a completely different level than what you're going to find at, that, at the ACC. It's just it's, it's almost the same as being at a Division two compared to Division one. Uh, mm -hmm. If anybody is at a lower level who's listening to this, who just kind of feels like, like you did, they've got some ideas, but I, I need to get better. I, I want to get better. I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready to learn more and, and challenge what I know right now. What advice would you give them? Uh, how, how can someone go about doing that, particularly as a pitching coach, because you've been through that path? What, is a, what does a person need to do? Where do they need to go? You know, who do they need to listen to? Uh, what would you recommend to a person in that position? Man, yeah, I would, you know, for me, I, I took it uh, and just started running a, a pitching clinic for coaches every year. And so I was lucky enough that, because um, that's where I felt like I was able to get my wheels turning the most, you know, bringing guys like even, you know, Coach Pollard here at Duke, uh, pitched at Duke, uh, pitched at Davidson, uh, has a pitching background, um, getting a chance to talk with him every day still continues to help with that process for me. But just put yourself uh, in environments, you know, the Texas Baseball Ranch has a clinic for, for coaches. Uh, I think uh, the uh, Pitchapalooza that's in Nashville, a great opportunity to listen to guys. Um, that's kind of the maybe a step to help you connect. We, we run a pitching clinic still here every year the weekend before Thanksgiving. And, and the good thing about all three of these uh, events is you're just bringing in great, successful people and letting them kind of spend yarn on what they – uh, belief has helped them and their process and there's no commitment or tie-in to well you gotta this is how we believe it should be taught so you've got to teach it this way there, there's no one size fits all type approach to, to any of these guys that come in it's um, you know guys that come in and really just speak from the heart on what they feel like helped them and what they've done to, to grow their success and, and whatever field they may be in whether it's performance whether it's uh, you know pitching specific uh, guys like you know, Randy Sullivan, he's an incredible teacher. Uh, he's figured out a ton of things down at the Florida Baseball Ranch. Certainly a guy I would, I would spend some time following on uh, on Twitter maybe or connecting with. But, yeah, I, I would say get to some of these events or just if financially that doesn't fit, and I certainly understand that because I've, I've been in a position where the, the resources may not have, have matched, uh, you know, spending three or four days on the road at a professional development place when you got to recruit and you got to have – things for your own players um you know reach out to coaches that are near you and even if you don't agree with them uh it, it can help you just it, it helps me to even talk with guys that maybe I, i'm not on the same page with or have some uh, you know conflicts with maybe some of their opinion because it, it either helps me reinforce what i believe or at least helps me get my wheels turning on some of the things that maybe i thought were true or made sense in theory but uh, man, maybe I need to look at this differently because, you know, this guy's had some success and he does it a different way. And maybe for nine of, out of ten pitchers, it's not going to translate. But, they're, you know, this one guy right here haven't been able to unlock some of the things that he needs to be more successful with or has a chance to be more successful with. And maybe uh, maybe that perception and that message is, is what helps that guy. So, um, you, you know, I, I think reaching out to coaches around you is, is critical. I think some of these events are, are really good that we have a chance to go to, obviously the ABCA. You're going to have a ton of coaches there too, but just reaching out and having conversations—that—that's what's helped me. Um, when I first got it to, to Duke, one of the guys that I've been friends with is a guy named Drew Thomas down at Coastal, and he—he he gets the data stuff, man. Like he—he he gets it. He's smart. He's been doing it. They won a College World Series, obviously. Um, so he was even a guy that was just willing to to let me connect with him, and he's been looking at track band for over a year, and I was trying to figure some things out, and you know, it, it's not online anywhere. Uh, but just reaching out to, to people that um, are doing it. And sometimes, you know, di different parts of the year can be tough. But um, I, for me, that was something that, that's always helped me just kind of keep myself uh, maybe sharper on uh, in check a little bit with some of the things that, that maybe I believe or that I'm trying to promote or uh, coach even. Do you still run the pitching clinic that you used to run, or have you had to, to give it up once you got to Duke? No, yeah, we still do it every year. So um, last year had a, a really cool lineup, uh, Fred Corral, uh, Russell Orr, who's a VP of performance down at Exos, trains uh, just incredible uh, guys that relates to movement and strength training and those sorts of things, performance. 
Um, yeah, Randy Sullivan up here, Scholar Mead, South Carolina, was up here speaking last year. Um, we, our staff, Chris Gordon, is our guy that really helps me uh, evaluate some of the data and analytics stuff that we get from in games. He, he spoke on some of those things. Um, try not to leave anybody out, but yeah, did, we had, did Drew had Thomas pump last year? Uh, so <laughs> Drew I was slated list. to come up. Yep, yep, he was slated to come up. Uh, he blew out two tires. Uh, <laughs> I, I got I got pictures to to, to prove it. He, he shot them my way. It's like, man, don't kill me, but uh, I, I don't know how, how I'm going to get up there right now. Uh, it looked like. <laughs> I don't know if you know if he hit something, but he spent the day on the side of the highway trying to get up here. But he he, he did commit to to being here next year because of that uh, mishap, and so he he'll be in the in the mix with this next year, and we'll have another good lineup. But yeah, it's it's just three days uh, of guys really uh, a couple of MLB guys I've had a chance to work with um, that that'll speak to. So you're getting it from a coach's standpoint, you're getting it from a a uh, strength and performance you know standpoint, RPT. Uh, and, and then our strength trainer also are in the mix with, with running it, and then uh, you get it from a player side as well. You kind of get their story and some of their frustrations of, of what they've had to work through. And I think kind of capturing each area can, can be really helpful in just getting a better grasp of um, what you're looking at. So yeah, If you don't understand all of it, there's, there's definitely something you're going to miss. Go ahead and give yourself a pitch. Where do people find information about that, Duffy? How do they sign up for that? So, yeah, you know, I, I've kind of – Worked uh, the communication on that through my Twitter page, which is just at Pitching360. Um, we'll have the lineup of, of next year's speakers. It, it's pretty much complete, but I like to get a little bit closer to the date before we announce it just because sometimes things are volatile in our industry. And um, But, yeah, if, if you're checking in with my Twitter page, uh, typically by May, maybe even June, the, the sign-up link will be at the top there. It'll have a list of the speakers that are confirmed to be here and location and, and all that. But every year it's the weekend before Thanksgiving. Um, that that's at least the, the dates that you could pencil in right now. I like that. I like that you get into such depth. Uh, that's the part of the podcast that I thought was really good. I mean, to me, if you're a if you're a pitching guy and you want to learn about pitching, like this is a podcast you need to be on. To me, it's so telling and it's so true. Because that's how I look at things. I'm not coaching anymore, and I get that. And I get that I don't understand a lot of the data out there. But to me, like, data should be, you're not good at this thing, so let's figure out how to get you better. But when you are good at something, like, just freaking leave it alone. And to a point, like, as a scout, doesn't the eye test still have to play a part in it? Like, hey, man, that guy's got a, I don't know what his fastball's doing, but it's missing, it's missing a lot of bats. It misses a ton of barrels. So just let it, just let it go. Like I, I mean, I get to a point that you could say, okay, this fastball is really good right now. We can make it elite if we do these couple of things. But you probably take just as much of a risk of going the other direction, you know, making it worse when you try to change, to tweak just a little bit of already, when you're talking about something that's already working. Well, you can, but what will happen though, man, is like you will see over time the best version of that pitch. So again, they make the. Because man, I was on the phone, whatever five or six teams this off season. They've got they look at the average. So like, what's the average IVB? What's the average this? And for me, like, I want to see what the best one he did was, and then figure out how to recreate that one. And then if that one's not good enough, then we've got to look at a shift. But like creating a standard of what you interpret as a quality pitch. And then saying, okay, how, how do we build this? And does it need to be the, the ratio and how often we're throwing it? Uh, does it need to be, you know, the shape, you know, like just, but there's no interpretation of how how good is this pitch really? Um, I don't see there, there isn't. And this is why, like, it's tough for me because I don't want to feel like I'm talking down to anybody or saying I got something figured out that other people don't. I, I hate the context of that, but it's like, until you really know what your opinion of a good pitch is, you, you can't feel comfortable about trying to recreate a pitch for somebody. Um, and then once you figure out what your opinion of a good pitch is, determine the theme within that pitch that makes it good, okay? And then, like, all right, understanding all these data points, this is what makes the most sense to me for this pitch and why it's so effective. Okay, how do we how do we teach you the best version of that pitch, not – the one that plays down that creates the quote-unquote average 
Like, what are you doing that makes this one really good? Um, and, and that, you know, I, I guess I hit on it a little bit when I said there's just, there's no kind of uh, ideal data point because everybody's so uniquely different in what they can create. But, man, we, we've got a guy with the worst slider you've ever seen on video, and 6% of the time he gives up a hit on this thing. And the average exit below on it is like 78 miles an hour. He's around the plate with it. He throws it for strikes. Um, and I'm like, it's a good – like, it's not that, well, we could make it better and we don't – like, no, it's already good. Like, it's good. Um, I don't need to I don't need to touch it. I just need to make sure we can do it really consistently. Um, you know, and there, there's a, you know, plenty of stories about, uh, you know, pitchers – I can't remember if it was Tom Seaver or somebody getting ready to go in and throw him. They're like, man, catcher comes up to him in the pins, like, dude, your fastball looks good today. He's like, Mr. Clemente will tell me if my fastball is good today. <laughs> um, you know, um, so, and, and that's like we're, we're trying to either, you know, make money or get ahead of the, the curve too quick. And so we're just throwing out parts of information. And we didn't even get into force plates, man, but like that, that is going to be, what TrackMan is for the shape of the ball to the plate, the, the force plate mounds are becoming with this new guy in the mix called Kyle Barker, named Kyle Barker. He's with New Force. Um, they are going to be what your body's doing to create that pitch. And there's a ton of interesting stuff already with that. The entire mound is a sensor, essentially. And uh, this guy builds space shuttles. So his son played college baseball, I think, and he's just kind of getting in the mix with it now. I, I was lucky enough, I'm friends enough with a twins pitching coach where he let me kind of come in and sit on a day where they trained on it for about four hours and it, it basically links up the data from the mound with video so where you're at in the video matches what type of force you're creating into this mound and it creates a ton of clarity and as you start to watch really good pitchers compared to guys that are inconsistent or guys that just don't develop that same amount of power and force um like it it becomes really clear, just kind of like data can become clear for guys and what helps them be who they are. Um, the, these force, I guess they're supposed to be called force sensor bounds, are, are doing the same thing. I wanted this to connect with coaches as best I could, even if they don't have these resources. And when you were asking me about, all right, which data points matter the most, the first probably five I read off, you, you don't need TrackMan, you don't need Rapsodo. Those, those points still tell the tale. They may not tell you exactly why, but they tell you what's going on. If you have a, a data measuring device like Rapsodo or Jacker Tech or TrackMan, okay, that, that'll tell you why at least. But um, And, like, the complaint was, well, you know, we just – we don't have that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but, but you can count how many strikes a guy throws with a pitch and how often it gets hit. When I recruited, I'd go watch a pitcher, and I was tracking every fastball – well, every pitch that he would throw, and I'd either – I'd just, like – Write a little shape around it because I don't have any any kind of data, but oh, like yeah. either he, either it was well I should say a pitch it was swung at. I'd record every pitch that was swung at and like what pitch it was and whether it was like contact but not hard contact or barreled or swung a missed. And right. like obviously it's a really small sample size, but you see a guy a couple times and I would I would try to use that kind of stuff to figure out just to give me more than just what my eyes were seeing and what the radar gun was telling me. No, yeah, like you, exactly. Like, you can do it, you can try to, like, create some description of why uh, it looks different and, and, what, and, and, and work off of that. Yeah. But there's, there's so many, like, man, we've got guys here um, that versus righty throw this number of pitches in the zone, and then versus lefty, it, it gets cut, like, 20%. And, like, you don't notice that. And you may be like, well, lefty's hitting better. Well, all hitters are better hitters in advantage counts for – in advantage hitting counts, you know? Like, yeah. And every pitcher is a worse pitcher when they're behind in the count. Yeah. So do lefty see him better, or is he just putting himself in uh, bad counts all the time and giving them better chances to hit off of him, which in a lot of times is, is the case. And if you're measuring these things that you don't need track man for, um, you can see that. You, you can see that, um, man, we just got to get this guy more comfortable with a lefty in the box. And yeah. for all of his bullpens, you need to have somebody standing in or a little hitting dummy or whatever. But that that's what, for me, is just, like, that's where it starts without, for me, whether we've got track man or not. Like, that's where it starts. You look at the grand picture, you know, the thing that I've been talking about this all season, data's just part of it. Command's just part of it. Um, your health, your strength training, your 
you know, sleep, nutrition, recovery, and I've got like there's like 68 things to where you're vulnerable if you don't if you aren't prepared for this. Um, and then collectively, going back to that book we started with, like how do you use all these areas to become more prepared and not either bog down or overlook something that you know if you don't know a bunt defense and you come into a game where you've got to get a big out, <laughs> but like you screw up the bunt defense and the timing of that, like you're vulnerable yeah. and your team's vulnerable. It doesn't mean you're not a good pitcher. It just means like if you don't get that, if you don't know the sign set with a runner at second, um, you know, if, if you got away with not eating yesterday and you, and you played okay, but now you got to come back and pitch again today, well, that recovery compromise is now compounded because you didn't get the calories you needed yesterday. And now you haven't eaten today. It's going to play over different. So there, there's just so many contributions to performance that, to, to be deficient in one can can lead to maybe you get away with it for a little bit, but over time, like, it's going to show up. Everybody, this is Dusty Blake. He's the pitching coach at Duke University. Um, um, hey, really, let, let me just go ahead. Before we, we cut off, man, I, I can't possibly be in this position without the, the support of my family and my wife, Amy. Um, so I just can't, can't go through an hour talking baseball and, and, and this process without giving uh, them some credit. And just being the the support and the foundation and and providing me the the, the time and uh, opportunity to, to to work here and and be part of a of such a good program. So I just want to throw that in before we before we finish up. I'm glad you brought that up. It's something that it's really important. There's a lot of stuff that I I wanted to get into that we didn't get to today that yeah. we're going to need to to shut it off. But I'm glad you you brought that up because without it seems like every almost every coach I talk to, if especially if I ask the question. You know what's who's most important in this process. You know the the spouse always comes up, and uh, it's such oh, an important sure. part. And it's just it's good to hear that with college baseball coaches. You know coaches at any level, uh, just yeah. to hear that there are good family people that are involved, and and you're certainly one of them. Uh, this has been a a really great podcast. I have uh, several things that, that quite a few things I wanted to get into with you that uh, we just didn't get a chance. We might have to. Uh, I'd, I'd love to try to schedule another one of these with you, uh, Dusty, okay. at some point. But in case uh, you know, if you join this part way through, uh, just it's it's been an incredible podcast. A really insightful guy. Uh, I, I think you just have such a great feel for tech versus working with individuals, uh, just in a way that a lot of other coaches don't. You're an excellent communicator, obviously, as, as you can see through this podcast, and just um, you know, someone with a lot of humility and someone who studies the game, and and just it's it's easy to see how you ended up where you did, and I, I'm so just so glad to see you in a good position, and great to see you having a lot of success there at Duke, um, and I just really really appreciate you spending the time with us today in this podcast. Yeah, je- definitely, Jeff. Man, enjoy it anytime. I mean, you can ask these guys around me uh, anytime they can find somebody else for me to to talk pitching to instead of them. They're appreciated <laughs> as well. So, um, wearing somebody else out besides them for once. But but yeah, no, re- really cool opportunity. I, I think uh, trying to do what you're doing even uh, and sharing the message of you know, coaches and their experiences and uh, every, everything like that just kind of really keeps the ball rolling in, in our industry, and that's that's huge. This has been great. Figuredoutbaseball.com, everybody. If you are, are wanting to check out some videos, these these podcasts are a great supplement. Uh, but the videos that we provide, hundreds uh, at this point, more than 400 videos we've got from college and pro coaches. It's a great way to go and learn more about the game. Um, you know, it, and we just talked about what you can do to get yourself better. I think there are certainly a lot of videos in whatever positions you coach or whatever your your weaknesses in coaching. Hopefully, there are some videos you can find that can help you at figuredoutbaseball.com, and it's all free. Uh, Dusty Blake, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, wish you and Duke the best of luck going into the spring season. All right. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks, man.